Well, welcome everyone. I'm really glad that you guys could make it today. Um, I think we all know each other here, uh, but if we haven't already met, my name's Doug. I'm one of the pastoral staff here at Restoration Church. And um, I was trying to think of a way to introduce this topic. You know, try to think up some sort of witty introduction, you know, something interesting that would grab the people's attention. In reality, um, I just want to settle on something really simple. Um, I think we're all here because we have the same heart. We all love kids and we all want to see kids grow in the image of Jesus. We want to see them discipled and we want to see them um, step into their place in the next generation. I reckon you're keen on discipleship. And one thing, as I thought about this talk, is that spiritual formation um, and kids in general uh, in that space, the spiritual formation is constant. It's not just something we do under the banner of discipleship. Discipleship and spiritual formation is constant. Say, for example, um, your kids, when they go hang out with other kids, have you ever noticed when they come back, sometimes they can be a fair bit different, for better or worse, depending on who they hung out with. Um, In the same way, hanging out with certain relatives who remain nameless, when our kids come back, for better or for worse, right? Our kids come back a little bit different. It's the same with friends, it's the same with school. Uh, You know the old saying in education, if you send your kids to Caesar, don't be surprised if they come back as Romans. It's the same thing. Education has an impact. Um, Media has an enormous impact and I don't think I need to convince you of that. The reality is that there are multiple things all influencing and forming our children at once. There are many voices that want to form our children in their image, one way or the other. And as parents, I think we can in some ways get, or soon to be parents, we become become rather, I think it can be overwhelming. I think when you see all those voices and you have this passion to see your child to meet Jesus for themselves, but you just see the tsunami of voices clamoring for your kid's attention. And you're like, how can I operate in this space? How can I help my kids see the Jesus who's changed my life? Now, I think there's one or two extremes that you can go as a parent. The first one's legalism when it comes to the discipleship of our kids. And I don't think I need to convince you of the dangers of legalism. Um, You know the stories. You've met kids who've grown up in highly regulated with a lot of extra biblical rules in place and structure. Um, it's, it's restrictive, it's a straitjacket. And I'm sure you know what happens is the kids tend to rebel, right? They tend to go their own way. Or, arguably just as bad, they conform. And they pass on the poison of legalism to the next generation. And the cycle continues. That's one extreme. The other side is laxity. Now this one I see less in churches, but you've probably seen it a few times yourself as well. It's where parents who say things like, oh, we just, we just let the Holy Spirit deal with our young ones. We'll just let the Holy Spirit guide our young ones. Now, it sounds rather spiritual. And I think many of us, we go, oh, that's, that, that sounds right. But then there's another part of us that's niggling away and says, oh, that sounds wrong. <laughs> that's not right either. There's, I can't put my finger on it, but leaving it to the Holy Spirit, there's just something... There's something in there that doesn't resonate. There's something wrong. And that's the two extremes, legalism and laxity. And I think most of us here in this room 
um, we actually see ourselves as somewhere in the middle. We don't want to fall into either ditch, but we're not sure where to put our feet in this present cultural moment we find ourselves. Now, the good news is that Jesus is heavily invested in your kids. He loves them a lot more than you and I. And because of that, in His Word, He has given us some solid ground to stand on. He has shown us the way to disciple our kids. Now, if you are tempted towards legalism, you're going to get real uncomfortable with the amount of freedom that you're going to find in the Bible for parents discipling their kids. And if you're tempted towards being lax, you're going to get real uncomfortable with the level of solemn responsibility that Jesus puts on parents in the raising and discipling of their kids. Let me show you a few verses. This is the first one for a biblical understanding of how to disciple our kids. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, you've got a job to do, is what the Old Testament says. And in another passage, in the Psalms, He, being God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, to the next generation, so that the next generation may know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they may set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. In the New Testament, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So if you want to tie all these threads of biblical teaching together, if you want to look at it systematically, it says this, the Old Testament commands family discipleship. The New Testament commands family discipleship. The primary teacher of the family is the father, from what we read. And the primary purpose of family discipleship is to encourage our children to set their hope in God and not to forget His works, but to keep His commandments. And we accomplish this through bringing them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. That's how it's to be done. Now, What I find fascinating in this space is that not only does the Bible say this, but in the last two decades, there has been significant research in this space. There has been a lot of people with more degrees than Fahrenheit who have surveyed all sorts of of influences in children's lives and have sought to determine from, from an empirical basis, what is the most effective spiritual influence in a child's life? They surveyed youth pastors, They surveyed parents. They surveyed um, schools. They surveyed close peer groups. And of course, they surveyed children. Now, all of the studies, and I find this fascinating, all of the studies have one answer to who the most effective spiritual influencer in a child's life is. Can you guess who or what that is? Sorry, Simone? Father? Mum? 
Parents? Follow? Interestingly, the most effective one, according to studies, is parents. Parents in general, uh, fathers in particular, so extra points for you who said <laughs> that, but parents in particular. All the research says that parents are a huge, absolutely huge, near a necessary condition for a child to remain strong in their faith into young adulthood. Without question, the most important pastor a child will ever have in their life is a parent. That's from Christian Smith, who did one of the largest surveys in this field. And what he did confirmed the research of many others. Well worth a Google. So, surprise, surprise, God knew what he was doing when he wrote the Old Testament and the New Testament to, for us. Now, I find this rather encouraging. I mean, I, I know teenagers, I've worked in that space for a while, and you look at some of the kids that our kids hang out with, and we go, oh, are influencing them in the wrong way? Is this going to, like, damage or ruin their faith in the long term? This is a bad path, and we get very worried as parents. And yet, the Bible and research says that as a parent, you're still the most single, most powerful influence, even if you certainly don't feel like it. Even when your teacher, uh, teenager is slamming the door on you, <laughs> I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, you are still the single most powerful influence in their life. Now, moving from there, the obvious question becomes not, will you leave a legacy? James, David, Ange, it's not will you leave a legacy, it's what sort of legacy will you leave? Now, that is a weighty thought. Because there's a lot of people who aren't in this room and they're leaving legacies. And you in this room, you are leaving a legacy as well. And I reckon if we did a heart check, if I had some sort of magnifying glass that could check the heart or x-ray machine of every person here, I think our hearts are to have not just godly kids, I reckon we all want godly grandkids. That's what we want to see. And that's what we want to aim towards. And the way we get there is a pretty open question. Because do you remember those Bible verses that we looked at? How many five-step plans did you see in there? How many two-step Bible studies? <laughs> They're actually quite broad, yeah? It's very, very broad. So what's interesting is that throughout history, the Christian church has been scratching their heads about, well, what is the best way? Parents like us have sat down, some of us wearing togas, other times wearing medieval peasant gear. We've sat down, we've been talking, what's the most effective way to bring our kids to see Jesus? And across the millennia, the answer that you see that threads across all the centuries, and I think this is fascinating, on every continent where Christianity has appeared, the thread that everyone eventually sits down and agrees with is some form of family devotions. That's what they've come to. Let me show you some pictures from this space. That is a carving of family devotions occurring in the early few centuries of the church. Here is a photo, well, photo, drawing of, of Martin Luther and his family. Uh, Luther's the one in the middle with the lute, you know, and he's playing away, right? And the kids are singing. Here's one from what looks like the uh, Victorian era. All the families are gathered around. And here's a painting of, 
supposedly modern family in the 50s doing it. You see this throughout Christian history. And it makes sense. Imagine that you have a three-year-old right now. For some of you, that is true. (laughs) But imagine you have a three-year-old. Start running the maths on this. They will turn 18 years old in 2038. If you begin family devotions with them today, then by the time they're 18, they would have experienced family devotions 1,500 times. Let me say that number again. 1,500 times, based on twice, twice a week. Even if you start with teenagers, the benefits of a few years of family devotions within a loving family relationship would be immense. Consider how the church would look in the next generation. Consider the people in this room in 20 years' time. They would have a greater understanding of who they are, who God is, and they will be far more prepared to disciple their kids, your grandkids, and to advance the kingdom of God in Australia and in the world. So, the how-to. I hope I've been able to like, show you a bit of a framework for it. and I hope you can get as excited as I am about this as we rediscover something new. But, at the end of the day, to do family devotions take a weight off, you don't need to go to Bible college or get a degree in Bible studies. You just need to have a love for Christ, you need to love your family and you need to be willing to give it a go. Okay? And what is it? Well, if you want a quick, easy definition, family devotions is basically time devoted to God as a family outside of church. Time devoted to God as a family outside of church. Now, there are many different ways of doing it, but one of the most easiest ways and one of the most popular ways is read, pray, sing. Most Christians throughout history who have been doing family devotions have done some form of read, pray, sing with their kids. Now, this next part of the presentation, we're just going to go nuts and bolts. What does it actually look like if you do read, pray, sing as a family devotions with your kids? So, here goes. Number one read. You want to read a portion of Scripture. The Bible's a big book and depending on your kid's age, you'll want, to find, you'll want to find a place to read with them. So the family sits down. I'll give you an example. I'm just going to pretend I have a really big family right now. <laughs> That's alright. <laughs> so we sit down and let's just say we have some little ones in our midst, like say some ones who are about you know, five or six and we'll pick some teenagers as well, but we've got some little ones, and we might just read a couple of verses from Acts, right? The book of Acts, it's interesting, it's action-packed, there's a bit of narrative, and there's enough in there to easily grab a teenager's attention as well. So we might just read a few verses, and that'll be really good. And as we read them, um, we're going to go back and forth, I'm going to be like, oh, could you read this bit, if they can read? Can you read this bit? Could you read that bit? Jeremy, stop wiggling around. Like, you get the idea. <laughs> so, um, you can do something like that, like a narrative portion, and I highly suggest that for younger kids. Uh, you can find a person, uh, the life of David. So interesting. Obviously, use your dis- discretion <laughs> with biblical characters <laughs> and which passages you read, but super interesting, right? Find one. Like, we all know people in the Bible. Find one. Read about it. I'm um, over a couple of weeks, a couple of months. 
Um, you can Google family Bible reading plans. There are people who are way brighter than anyone here in this room who've been doing this way longer and they've written the plans for us. They've already done all the hard work. Google it. That's what we've done in our family and do it as well with your family if you like. It's super simple. And the most important thing here to do is to connect Scripture in a way that your kids understand to their lives. Okay? You're not just after information, you're after transformation. Now, I really want to push this point because I've been in some families in the past and they do family devos when I've gone and visited them and I've seen one where there was a dad read and dad's a solid biblical guy and he read a chapter of the Bible which, you know, two thumbs up, right? And it was awesome. And his kids were three, four and five and I think we're in First Corinthians. Alright? Now, that, that's like throwing mud at a wall and hoping it's going to stick, right? These kids, and they were quiet, it was kind of weird actually, they're all just really, he has six kids, P.S. Um, like, and they're even younger ones, and the five, three and whatnot. They're all, they're all there and they're all listening, baby's quiet, P- parents are quiet, it's just dad, they're all boys and they're silent. And in the end, I, I don't know how this works, I don't know how this works. And when he finishes, he reads it, and then he closed the book, and then he said, all right, let's pray. And then he prayed, and that was the end of the devotions. I don't think I need to explain why that doesn't work, okay? Just a couple of verses in a way that kids understand. And if you want to draw out their understanding to move from information to transformation, here's some sample questions. What stood out to you in that passage? little Jeremy, what part did you like, right? Or, hey, uh, Ray, what do, we, what do we learn about God in that little bit? Or, let's go, oh, Mr. Milliken, Master Milliken, let me ask, what do we learn about people in this particular passage? Or you can do, for a bit more, and this is more of an older kid one, what does God want us to do as a result of reading this? And, if you really want to make life interesting, um, young Miss Gilmore, um, who can I tell about this? Who, who can you tell about what you read? These questions are simple and they're easy and you can, bring in, you can use them for almost any Bible passage. Okay? And the kids can answer them to the level of sophistication that they're currently at. A six-year-old is going to answer, like, What's the, uh, what do you learn about God? Very differently than a 16-year-old. That's the beauty of these questions, they're flexible. Sorry, go back, yep. Sure. Um, all the notes will be available to on Facebook. Um, so, for those listening to the recording, as well as for those of us here. Next thing to do is pray. I actually think most of you guys probably already do this in some form or another. Um, spend some time praying together. Um, we'll pray for little Jimbo's exam tomorrow. We'll pray for the kid in their class who's sick. We'll pray for the teacher. We'll pray for the youth group. Just pray about whatever's going on in their lives. Um, Many families do keep a prayer list or a notebook and I think these are very powerful because a prayer notebook where you write it down, your request, write the date, the best thing to do is when you can tick them off and you can say, hey, we can see how God answered that. Um, we've experimented with this with our family and Elliot loves the fact 
that there are some things on there that he can point to. And he's like, God answered that. God answered that. And it's like, yes, yes, he did. And it's almost, there's a contagious fire that comes up. Because a lot of us adults, we don't remember. You know, our memories aren't as good as the kids. But when kids see it, it sets up a powerful foundation. And they'll probably remember it even when they're old. That prayer point that God answered when they were four or five or six. Just like we remember prayer points that God answered when we were that age. So that's prayer. And lastly, sing. Now, I would strongly encourage you to spend some time singing together as a family. Spend some time. Now, the good news is YouTube has an enormous selection of songs with lyric videos. If you name the hymn, if you name the song that's been running in your head recently, it's probably got a lyric video on YouTube that you can just play and that you sing along to. You don't need to get a full band. You don't need to have a family member who's good on the piano. You just need to have access to the internet and a screen large enough where you can read the words. Um, I would say two to three songs, I'd suggest. Um, it really depends on the kids, but two to three songs and depends on the night. And um, as a bonus point thing, I'd strongly encourage you to look at Seedbed Salter. It is a phenomenal website. It's got all 150 Psalms set to well-known tunes. If you've ever wanted to sing a psalm, go to Seedbed Salter. It's awesome. Um, there's nothing quite like it. But again, with psalms, use your discernment <laughs> as you sing away. But there's something really beautiful about that. Now, with all of this, as some hints, I would encourage you to discover a time for family devos that suits your family. Because not every family is the same. For some of you, it's going to be before school. I salute anyone <laughs> who travels that path. Um, for others of you, it may be before dinner. Uh, I'd suggest after dinner um, because of little tummies. Uh, but either way, whatever you pick, whatever you customise, concrete it. Make it a regular rhythm. Secondly, uh, keep it short. Um, something we're always told at school, um, where I work, the mind can only engage what the body can endure. And how true is that? Even for adults. If I, if I told you we're going to do a three-hour seminar, guys, get ready, hold on to your hat, straight after church, nah. You'd be as wriggly as a little kid. <laughs> All right? The body can only endure so much. So maybe five to 20 minutes max. We started this with um, Elliot and Rylan. I think Rylan was three, Elliot was five. And um, three-year-old boy... No. <laughs> this was two songs and one, a couple of verses and I think one very quick prayer for him. Elliot could endure a bit more being five, but not much more. Okay, so five minutes. Now the boys are a little bit older. Um, we look at something like 10 minutes, maybe 15, if the kids are unusually settled. Okay, um, but find out what works for you and obviously limit distraction. Um, do your best to limit that because otherwise it's just not going to work. Expect to have off days and to miss days. Th that's a given. This is not a legalistic everyday boom, 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 boom. This is you customising and then concreting something, realising there will be exceptions. Hey, grandma's come over. Oop, off to the hospital. Oop, we've all just had a really tough day. You know, expect exceptions. But as Rick Warren says, don't let yesterday's famine rob you of today's feast. 
you may feel, if you've had like a good run and you've been going well for a couple of weeks and then you have two or three days where it just doesn't work, don't despair. Don't tear your hair out. Don't let yesterday's famine rob you of today's feast. Just keep on at it. You're going to have rough times. You're going to have times when you just, you want to throw something heavy at someone small, but you just got to take a breath. (laughs) And there'll be other days when you will just, it'll be powerful. And the Holy Spirit's in the room in a tangible sense. And your kids' light bulbs are just going off in their minds. And you can see it translated into their behavior. And you're like, that was amazing. You're going to get both extremes. So, um, moving on from there, and we're heading up right towards the end there of today's session. Objections. Um, I've listed them in order of um, objections that I've received um, from other people in the past. Objections, we're too busy. This is the number one objection that I hear by a long shot. We are too busy. We're in the 21st century. We have curriculums, we've got relatives, we've got so many things happening. We've got our own issues as adults going on. We are busy. And yet, at the end of the day, I would encourage you um, to consider the fact that you always, ever since you've been a kid, and especially as as an adult, you've always prioritised what you think is most important. You always have. End of it. No doubt. And I would encourage you to then think a little further and to think, right, if I'm always prioritising what I think is important, what singular activity do I know holds greater benefit in, for my kids' lives in this life and the life to come? What singular activity gives greater benefit to my children in this life and in the life to come than family devotions? If you can think of some that are, gives greater benefit to your kids, well, prioritise them first. But family devotions should be up pretty high. Pretty high. Um, we can, there's not many things that are more beneficial for our kids in the long run. Um, and at the end of the day, God has assigned you, your kids and grandkids on purpose. He says, I'm going to assign this precious eternal soul or souls to you. And we're going to give an accounting of what we've done with them. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do is family devotions. Next, I'm not the best example of a Christian parent. I've never really met a perfect example of a Christian parent. And the reality is, your kids already know that anyway. Your kids already know this. Um, So does your spouse. Um, The best thing to do, if you feel like a real hypocrite trying to do this sort of stuff, the best thing to do is just be straight out repentant and be like, yeah, hey, kids, I'm not the best example of a parent. You've seen me do X in the past. But I'm growing too. Jesus is changing me too. And I'd really like to do devotions with you guys and go on a journey together because he's really good. And I promise if I stuff up, I'll do my best to say sorry. Let's come together and sit. You get the idea. Just humility. Humility is the key to 99% of conflict. If you just be humble, the kids will respect it, and there's no use trying to pretend that you are perfect. Okay? Just model repentance and humility. Thirdly, I don't know enough about the Bible. 
Um, again, the internet. You've got those Bible study plans. You've got a Bible study, uh, study Bible that you can buy from Kurong. If you're reading a particular passage and you have no idea what that's about, read the notes on the bottom. Um, as uh, Pete would know, the best way to learn something is to teach it. The best way to learn something is to teach it. So, if you, if you want to grow in your Bible knowledge, start teaching it to little people who've got big questions. And use your study Bible, use the internet, ring up your pastors, do whatever you need to do to, to gain knowledge so that you can share that wealth with your kids. Next one. I'm embarrassed to sing. Um, yes, I think there's a, probably a few really good singers up here who should be on stage. For the rest of us mere mortals, I just turn up the lyric video <laughs> loudly. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. And what's really powerful is when your kids, big or small, see mum or dad singing their heart out. For the little kids, they'll be inspired. For the big kids, they might roll their eyes. But you are implanting a powerful image in their subconscious that's um, really going to pay dividends in, in, in the future, I believe. So, just get into it. Next, I have cranky teenagers. This is probably the hardest of all the objections. Um, and there's different ways of dealing with this. I think it's family specific. As a general principle, I would encourage you to sit down with your kids and they're like, no, I don't want to do it. You know, too, too cool for school or whatever. Um, you can tell them, hey, I really think this is a really powerful, awesome thing that we can do as a family together. And I really want you to be part of that. Some kids will say, okay. You know, they just need a bit of, a, bit of honey rather than a bit of vinegar, right? A bit of honey. Others are like, no, still not interested. And you can say, if they've got younger siblings, I know you may not be that interested, but I need you, now that you're getting older, to help me with the little ones. And if we role model together, we can probably help these little ones um, to get engaged as well. Can we partner together? And for some kids, that's their thing. Oh, yeah, I, I can help. I'm, I can be a big kid, you know? Um, I can be more like an adult. Encouragement and praise is they just thrive on that. And they'll be in it. They'll stand next to you. And that they'll be in it. And lo and behold, you might find their attitudes changing as they actually get involved. But then you may have some who are still like, no. And they just put their foot down completely. You have two options here. The first one, I don't recommend, but this is you and this is your family. Um, some say, all right, no devotions, no dinner. It's a pretty hard line, but, that, but that's where they drop the hammer. They just say, no devotions, no dinner. That's where this is at. We are a family, and the Psalms says, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Do you have breath? Then I want you to praise the Lord with us. All right, that is some families. And I've heard that said from some very prominent platforms. That's what you should do. Others are like, okay, you don't have to join us if you don't want to. And I can be in my house and you <laughs> yes, that's another powerful one, Felicia. Um, yeah, some though, they're like, okay, you don't have to. It's up to you whether you join us. Now, if, there's, if you have like one kid or two kids, um, then okay, maybe. Um, but, and then they might go off and eventually settle down and rejoin you in a couple of months or however long. For others, though, that's not an option because they've got little siblings and what the big kid does, the little kid wants to do. 
So if the big kid says, nah, this is dumb, and they go to their room, the little kids, they'll start acting like this is dumb. And that, why do they get to do it, etc. You've got to work out your personal dynamics in your family. Okay? I'm sorry there's no silver bullet there. You've just got to use your discernment prayerfully and carefully with your kids. Okay? So, um, that's the six main objections. But now I'd just like to throw the floor open to any questions in general you might have about family devotions or about how it might work. Peter. Oh, wait, sorry? I was just saying, shall we keep going for our <laughs> We'll see. Uh, Peter. <laughs> I'm a very experienced father. <laughs> Many children. No, um, just quick. Why sing? Well, there are things that you can do. I think Bible reading and prayer seem fairly uh, like-hats. Um, when I look through the scriptures... I see both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament this call to sing, like this call to praise for God's people. So there is something that singing does that prayer and Bible doesn't. And because it's such a regular thread, um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to add that in. Now, some families don't sing. Like I've, some just do. But I think there's something in singing that's effective of the emotions in a way that reading the Bible and praying is um, at the end of the day I want, for me at least Pete, I would say there's a fully orbed goodness in that space and as a dad who's constantly poking his kids and you know come on, stop playing with that, sing louder <laughs> you know, um, that I have even then I've felt the benefits of singing to God and I would love the idea, I genuinely would love the idea of having families where singing to God is normal um, and I think out of all this, uh, like our society in all of its time, a couple of centuries that we've had here in Australia, we've never had such a lack of communal singing. And I say, bring it back. Let's start reconstructing some real beauty in our homes. And I think singing's helpful in that space. And there's so. real unity that comes through singing that you're not necessarily going to get through reading the scriptures or praying. You're doing something together collectively at the same time. Yes. Can I also add Unity. When, oh. Yeah, sorry, Talisha. Yeah. Uh, when the house is melting down, I will normally put on praise music and it just fills the song like that. <sighs> there's something to it. Yeah. I think there's that psalm, God inhabits the praises of his people. I don't exactly know how that, cashed, how that gets cashed out. All I know is that he inhabits the praises of his people. And it does something that isn't there when there's not music. Any other questions? Um, if you're, let me just add something here. I, I noticed a little, a few babies in this room, um, and very small children. Um, if your child isn't at a place yet where they can understand much at all, um, I would encourage you to still do family devotions, maybe with you and your spouse. There's something about a child who sits there, and some of their earliest memories is seeing an opened Bible on a regular basis, of being surrounded by song on a regular basis. There's something about it. I think it sets things up well for the future where it becomes normal. So yeah, um, children at any age can be involved. Um, now, lastly, um, 
if, you, uh, if you'd like more information, I'm going to put down a fair bit on Facebook, so um, either today or tomorrow. So I'm going to put down a summary of everything that's been said today. I'm going to stick up the PowerPoint. I'm going to pop up top 10 helpful principles. And I'm also going to add in an additional frequently asked questions. Um, uh, there's an excellent video out there that I'm going to put up that covers most objections that I could think of. And I'm going to put them all up there. Um, I also have some handouts that I'm going to put, oh, I will place before we leave, down the back that you can grab as well that summarises a lot of this. Now, uh, next week, uh, it's going to be a lot more open, informal time together. This session really is, the second session really is for people who are here now. And it's a session where if you have started family devotions, I would love to hear how you've gone. Whether you've been doing it for a million years or whether you just started this week, I would love to hear how you went to the extent that you're comfortable. And it'd be great to hear some, some celebration stories and to troubleshoot, troubleshoot some challenges that may have popped up as well in our midst. So that'll be next week. And besides that informal sharing time, I'm also going to um, do a very quick um, Cook's tour of catechism. So catechism and catechizing is another family devotions or discipleship tool that runs from the early church all the way to now. And catechizing is basically a Q&A format where you ask a question and you expect an answer and through the Q&A format, you teach your children some of the really powerful truths of the Christian faith from Genesis to Revelation. Um, some catechisms have 52 questions, others have 152, but um, either way, catechizing is very powerful and it fits very well with, the ch with children's love of answering questions. I know, I know, I know. And I want to teach you guys how to do that. Uh, that'll be next week. And it's going to go even shorter than this week. It's just quick story time where we share together and then quick catechism run and some recommended catechisms and resources so that you can upskill in that space. Um, lastly, if I could leave you with some encouragement. And it's that men and women generally leave this life with a fair few regrets, but I've never met anyone who's regretted spending time with God as a family. And for many of you today, I think you're going to be pioneers. You're basically breaking new ground and rediscovering an ancient, beautiful, powerful practice. And I long for the day when seminars like this has no one in the room because it's so ho-hum and everyone knows how to do family devotions. And why would we need a seminar on this? We all grew up with that. That's a 2040, 2060 vision that I'd like to have. And you guys, honestly, are part of this groundbreaking pioneer work. So we do the hard yards, we do the rediscovery, we make a lot of the mistakes, and then we pass on the fruits of our pioneering work to the generations after us. That's my encouragement to you. So now, grab this chance, build a positive legacy that will outlast you, and I want to encourage you to um, consider that it's not just you and your family sitting down. Jesus is there too. And he's got some really good things lined up for you and your family if you step into that space in obedience. Um, it's not watching rapid growth in your kids. It's just slow cultivation. And that's how really, really big trees grow. 
slow daily cultivation. And Jesus calls us to be gardeners in that space. Um, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to sheepishly race out and grab those handouts for you. (laughs) And then we'll wrap up. Uh, Jesus, I thank you that we could get together today. And I thank you that you love our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids far more than we do. Jesus, help us to be really intentional in this space. Help us to grab hold of all the good opportunities you've given us. And most importantly, Jesus, bring change to our children. Transform them, grow them. Um, I pray that you'll shape them more and more into your image. And Jesus, you have revealed yourself to each one of us here in this room in an awesome, awesome way. Help our kids and our descendants see all of your truth, beauty and goodness and to know you personally, we pray. Equip us for this task now, we ask in your name. Amen.